0: This is the first time that we've had men together, and uh, one of the things that you would notice about all the men that are featured on our panel that have been speaking with us are men that were part of the framing and crafting and the original signers uh, of the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. And uh, so that's who is represented here. Um, we're here in unity uh, and also with great concern, not making light of anything that we've discussed. I think to a man, we can all say that this is one of the greatest concerns and greatest issues that has been raised against the gospel and against the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, certainly since the Reformation. And yet the rapidity in in which this has moved across the church and across all, all sectors of denominations and so forth has been absolutely lightning fast. But we do want to make sure that we're addressing things. But we have someone that is new. That uh, that was not able to give a presentation. That's with us, and that's Pastor Tom Buck, and he is uh, pastor at First Baptist Church of of Lindale, Lindsdale, Lindale, Lindale in in Texas, and I just want to lead off with a question for Pastor Buck, and and that's this: that you're you're a pastor of a of an average church in the center of Texas, and. For you to speak to pastors about this concern, because a lot of, a lot of folks, just like, you know, I don't even understand why I need to address this issue. And even though they are in the middle of a, of a large metro uh, area that's dealing with gentrification and all the other issues, why should folks that are out, you know, in a rural church or pastors that are uh, with a congregation that's been replicating itself for years, why should they be concerned about this movement?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say just how thankful I am to these men for the presentations they've given up here on stage. I, I don't even begin to think that I can hold a candle to the uh, level of intellect that, get, that is gathered up here. In fact, I feel oppressed by the uh, intellectual privilege <laughs> that's up here right now. Yeah. But, um, me too.
2: I feel oppressed by your boots.
1: Hashtag yeah. me too. Not, <laughs> nine months ago, um, I mean, nine months ago, I really had no working knowledge of neo-Marxism, intersectionality, critical race theory. So I appreciate and I'm thankful to these men for having done the work and laboring in that. So I guess what I hope to contribute as I thought about, I've written down a few thoughts, is to bring a perspective of an average pastor who's trying really to catch his breath from the pace of how fast the social justice movement is sweeping through evangelicalism. Uh, This time last year when we gathered in this room, uh, for the G3 conference, the MLK50 event had not even taken place. Uh, the MLK50 event has proven to be not just a, a one-off event, but it's really become a launching pad for the whole movement in the SBC and evangelicalism. Uh, it's stunning, really, what's transpired in the last nine months, I have found it to be. For example, you know, last year I didn't even uh, didn't think of myself a racist at all, but I've come to understand that I've actually been one my whole life. Uh, after what I've learned in the last few months of what would be said in, in um, uh, the social justice movement. But I, I, I literally sat stunned as I watched MLK 50, a hearing as was said earlier about uh, some of the things that occurred. I, I heard Eric Mason talk about blacks who were black on the outside, Anglo in the inside. I was stunned to see uh, MLK lifted up and given unqualified praise. Uh, MLK, who didn't preach a biblical gospel, was portrayed as a genuine believer. Uh, this was then essentially repeated at T4G in a panel there. I was troubled to see someone stand on stage at MLK 50 and take a swipe at Vody just because he was unwilling to accept the false narratives surrounding the Michael Brown event. That was stunning to me that the, that took place. So th- there, is, there is an assault not outside our camp, there's an assault inside our camp. and if you and, and that is one of the reasons why I think that we need to be concerned. Because what's deeply troubling is I've observed from men that I greatly respect, men that I have pointed uh, my church to read, men that I believe that we uh, listen here that are of like mind theologically in this room, I've observed them not using the language of Scripture, uh, commit, uh, not having a commitment to the exclusivity of the gospel in this matter, the standard of God's holy law is not what's being upheld. A commitment to the sufficiency of Scripture is being ab- abandoned, I believe, and these things are those uh, the, those things are not what's pulling the social justice train. And I've come to learn that so much of the conversation is really worldly philosophy that's the local locomo- locomotive of this uh, of this train.
0: Let's take one step
1: back from, let's take one step back from the center of
0: this issue within the church. And let me just ask, what other areas uh, of our culture and society do you see this model of deconstructionism uh, and the insertion of intersectionality and postmodernism? What, are, what other areas of our society do you see this taking place outside of the church? Uh.
3: In the judicial system definitely um, and you know the whole idea of intersectionality is um, the work of an attorney the work of a law professor um, and applied in, in the, the legal system um, in academia definitely um, in politics you know writ large um, absolutely um, and I think in the world of um, Kind of uh, nonprofit, um, you know. Th- there's a lot of money yeah. falling around uh, for organizations yeah. uh, be- because of this kind of thing. So if you if you do sensitivity training yes. uh, for for corporations, if you do you know any of these sorts of things, that's a lot of money. This is a multi-billion-dollar industry. The grievance industry is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, so uh, those, those are some of the main areas where, where you see it happening.
0: Yeah, isn't it ironic that so much of this has the origins in what's called the grievance studies? And you just referred to an academia where you look at the case of an atheist professor who's denying intersectionality, uh, Peter Bagasian, who is now most likely going to be fired from Portland State University. So it's not just a question of what's happening here. This is happening everywhere. And and what are the different areas? Yes, uh, Phil. You know,
4: it started in the 1980s in the academic world, and it's infiltrated everything else. If your question had been, is there a sector of society that is not influenced by these postmodern values, postmodern ideas about truth, uh, the notion that your feelings are more important than the facts, I can't think of a segment of society that hasn't been affected by the it. The banking industry.
5: What the banking, the banking is- industry. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants the truth when they go to the yeah. bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 Well, I think where you know you could you could be flippant several years ago. Well, this isn't going to happen in football. No, it's happening in football. You could say, well, this isn't going to happen with Disney. No, it's happening at Disney. So you could. There's so many sectors that you can look at in the glue that actually holds our society together at the center. Uh, Vody referred to the uh, the legislative and legal side of things. That's top down. Then there's bottom up, which was referred to with the, the, the women's marches and
3: the march for our lives and all these other things that are happening. And, but, and it's even, yes. even to the extent that it's allowed to contradict um, v- values that we supposedly held dear. Right. For example, you know, title nine and women's sports, right? <laughs> the transgender movement is going to destroy women's sports. Already has. Because transgender men will always win. And so now you have sports where legitimate females are finding it hard to compete because men who are calling themselves women are now, you know, <laughs> running away. And it's an, even in combat sports. Um, you know, you, there was a, an, an MMA fight where there's a, right. a transgender MMA. This man just brutalizing women. And in the name of upholding Social justice, transgenderism etc we 're watching this happen and and again, women are suffering as a direct result of it
4: right if you 're a competitor in one of those sports, you are not permitted to complain' yeah. it 's right. uh, too politically yeah. incorrect yep.
0: uh, in terms of hierarchical deconstructionism, what can we see happening um, you know within other areas that now are now happening in the church itself, as opposed to looking outside, let's look back inside. Let's say in terms of tearing down hierarchies or the patriarchy, where do we see that in the church?
2: Everywhere. I, I mean, we, we, we cannot help but see the fact that there is a connection between all these things. I, I noted, for example, uh, when the Obergefell decision came down in 2015. It just seemed to me like a switch was thrown and the emphasis went from homosexuality to transgenderism. But I never thought that would end up inside the church. Mm. And yet right after the uh, T4G and, and MLK 50 thing, not only do we have this sudden push for a complete redefinition of gender roles within the church, but we've got the Revoice Conference taking place at a PCA church, and all of a sudden there is a, a, a pressure on to change the, the narrative of the church in regards to its entire history of understanding that God made man and woman, and that's good. And it's a proper thing and should be rejoiced in. And all of a sudden, we're we're seeing people going, "Well, you know, we, we need to listen to the other side on this, you know, and we need to we need to talk about this." And it's just like a a, a, a flip, a switch was flipped with a fell. And, and 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 somebody put the the pedal all the way down, and it ended up coming into places that look, I was I was wrong, folks. I was I just never expected to see it where I'm seeing it now, and I think it shocked a lot of us. We're just like. It couldn't, couldn't happen here. Well, it is. It is.
6: Yeah, the yeah. Cre- Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, some of the voices out in the social justice world today are suggesting that this entire statement that was crafted um, and our positions, <laughs> that it's all based on race. Well, the fact of the matter is simply this. If you look at the social justice movement, you see, and if we use the train analogy, uh, shipping container number one is racism or the issues of, of race shipping container number 2 uh, is definitely going to be the issues related to women and injustices related to women but what they want to do is they want to stop talking there but right behind the shipping container number 2 is shipping container number 3 which is the idea of gay christianity and if we fo- we are absolutely fooling ourselves if we don't think that the homosexual community is going to try, if it, that they're not going to try to use the same exact playbook that the first two shipping containers are using. That's of course. right. And they already are using that same they playbook.
1: Are. I mean, I hold in my hand right here the document from Living Out on how to be a biblically inclusive church. I think Living Out's more dangerous than Revoice. Yes. And the reason I think it is, is it's called it's a halfway house, so to speak. It's a middle position. Yep. Yep. So you have evangelicals who have come out very strongly and, and forcefully, I'm, uh, thankfully, against Revoice, who are embracing this <sighs> oh, yeah. and what Sam Alberry is saying full, fully. Now, I'm not going to read any motives into Sam Alberry, but I will say that he's gravely mistaken on these types of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that we often don't, we forget that Paul said in Acts 20 to the the Ephesus elders, that these kind of things are going to rise up from among you, which means somewhere along the way, it's going to be people that talk like us, think like us, act like like us, us. appear orthodox on so many different areas. So here you have the language in number two, uh, that churches that want to be biblically inclusive uh, need to not have stereotyping attitudes towards sexual minority groups. That's the language that Living Out is using, that Sam Albury is using. It's dangerous language. I, I have no reason to think that he's not a brother. But yet, at the same time, he's allowing these things to be interjected into it. Then, on top of that, say, here it is, sexual orientation should not prevent uh, uh, anyone from exercising their spiritual gifts to serve in leadership in the church.
0: Yeah. Well, but let's, let's look at this from where they would say... but you know don't we as christians have an obligation to engage the present culture
6: yes we do you, you, but with the word of god not with uh sociology and not with all of these other things
3: that i think
6: i would like to hear Vodi you made a comment recently about the new canon talk to us about that and what that looks like
3: yeah and one of the things that's happening is When you, and you address this uh, some, James, but the idea is when you start talking about this and having conversations about this, the first thing that people wanna ask is, well, have you read, and then there's a list of books. There's a new canon on this specific issue, on these specific issues, and and the, the implication, the not so subtle implication is that if you've read your Bible but not these books, then you're really not prepared to address these issues appropriately. You you haven't done your homework. Um, and and of course, if you've read these books, um, then there's a couple of uh, things. Either you're it's so entrenched in this that there's no hope for you, or Here's a half a dozen others right. that Way you need down. to that you need to look at next because it's an it's an ever growing canon um, as 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 these books are sort of added to the pile uh, and th- there's no there's no end to them but ultimately it is an attack on the sufficiency of scripture.
0: You say yeah. Okay. Well,
4: <laughs> this week, World Magazine printed an article where they said about me personally that I don't believe in engaging the culture. Where they got that idea, I don't know. I just disagree with, with how the social justicians want to engage the culture. I don't want to engage the culture the way Eve engaged Satan. I want to engage the culture the way David engaged Goliath.
0: <laughs> well, well, let me ask quick, quick, excellent. But
2: are some cultures better than others?
6: Yes, Absolutely. yes.
2: <laughs> but let's, let's, let's explain to everybody. If you, if you haven't read the, the statement that came okay. out of our initial meeting uh, back in June, I've not seen anything in that statement that has been a bigger red light push button issue than the simple statement that there are some cultures because of their conformance to the law of God and the revelation of God, the embodiment of of the fact that we have a creator and he's told us how we can flourish as human beings, that a society that embodies more of God's truth than a society that rejects more of God's truth, that that society is gonna be a better society. It, It is, if you want the test for someone who has been deeply infected by social justice perspective, Say to them that there is a society that's better. That's white privilege. That's patriarchy. That's that's uh, colonialism. That's all the rest of this stuff. And I had to defend this statement outside the context of the United States uh, on the unbelievable radio broadcast uh, a few months ago. Back and we recorded in November. It aired in December. And you could just tell in the British context that kind of statement. You make that kind of statement and you are anathema. It, it doesn't matter how logical it is. It doesn't matter that it necessarily follows from Christian truth. You're just not allowed to say it.
6: Yeah, I'll just say that church history demonstrates this. If you look at Scotland and then you go back to uh, what was known as the New Hebrides, uh, you find that one, well, one culture or society was, was far more superior than another because of the gospel. And because of their conformity to God's Word. And we see that when they sent missionaries to these islands, and the missionaries were eaten by the cannibals. And so it it took the gospel of Jesus Christ to change the hearts of those people, but it did not take social justice or some other method. It took the gospel. And by God's grace, uh, God turned those islands into a a wonderful place where now the, the people are are in their sane mind, and, and they're, they're conformed to the image of Christ rather than the, the savage image of their, their previous life.
0: Tom, you were really quick to answer that question. I
6: think yeah, it's okay. and it's obviously true.
5: I mean, it's obviously true. All Cretans are liars. You know, Paul said that about a culture on the island of Crete, and so if we're going to believe the Bible, we're going to have to at least start with that. But that doesn't mean that there's any one culture that's free from sin. I mean, people in the world think that the American culture is pretty good because we have folks always wanting to come in here, and that's created all kinds of crises because of the way that folks have tried to get in here. However, and I would say, praise God for our American uh, life that we have in this nation, but this nation slaughters a million babies every year in the womb. And so, I don't. you know, anybody would hear me say yes immediately and think, oh, well, he just is pro Americana and thinks there's America right or wrong. Not at all. Not at all. All people are made in God's image, and so wherever there's culture, there's going to be some things that are good. All people are sinners, and so wherever there's any culture, there's going to be bad. And as the gospel overcomes sin, there's going to be more good, and you're going to see that. And we've seen it historically. We see it today. And I just I don't understand the questions from those who say, but how could, that's so ethnocentric. No, that's just dealing with reality and trying to take the Bible seriously.
3: And there are also assumptions there. Because the assumption is that when we make that statement, what we really mean, right, is that, well, American culture, white, whatever. And, and so many of the critiques of the statement, if we can even call them that, have been about what people know that we really mean. Really mean, right? That's That may right. be what they said, <laughs> and I agree with what they said. But it's however. what it does. <laughs> yeah, how, however. Um, I, I know what these guys really mean. And I mean, when you're dealing with those kinds of critiques, it's really not anywhere that you can go. Right. Um, if, 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 if this is, if this is a statement and I've uh, assigned my, sign my name to this statement, um, and you're going to judge me because of, you know, what you think that I might have believed or what, some, some, what some of my friends, who, who my friends might have been at some point in my past, mm-hmm. that, I mean, there's really nothing that I can do about that. Um, and that's the unfortunate part of some of the critiques, uh, that, that there are people who would look at the statement itself and have nothing that they could say about the statement as it is written, but still avoid it and criticize it uh, either because of you know people that, that they don't like you know in, a, in 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 the group or or things that they assume we we really mean and really don't agree with even though we sign our name to it
0: because it was said it was not what the
2: statement says it's what it does now, speech act theory was the fancy way of uh, excusing the fact that I can't find anything in the words that are wrong but I'm just going to attribute to the authors concepts and mindsets that are offensive to me and to my people. And there is no way to respond to that other than to say, but I could do the exact same thing to you, and that's going to end all meaningful communication. And so I'm just going to show you more respect by not doing that to you than you're showing to us by doing that. What else do we have to engage the culture with if
1: it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we if we begin in the wrong spot, which is diminishing or diminishing depravity or making it look beautiful. Listen to these statements again from Living Out and uh, Sam Albury's site. Would be crazy to deny the good in permanent, stable, faithful, same-sex sexual relationships. The real elements of beauty in the relationship of the nice gay couple next door exist. Their commitment and love are part of God's common grace. The happiness that you're homosexual niece is enjoying is a good that God has created for us to enjoy. That is not in any way engaging the culture with a true reality of what sin is.
5: One of the things that concerns me about this is all of these uh, efforts and teachings are wrapped in love and compassion. We're loving, we're compassionate. We want to be loving and compassionate. And whenever you guys speak against that, you're just being harsh and mean and cruel and unloving. It is not loving to tell somebody who is taken over by passions for their other, the same sex that they're okay and that that's a good sign and that your joy comes from God. It is not loving to tell somebody that because of the color of your skin, you're either automatically in an oppressive class or an oppressed class. It's not loving to do that. It's not loving to tell people who are on their way to hell with their sins thinking that it's okay because they can be this kind of sinner hyphen Christian because people have told them that. It's not loving to let that happen. The most loving thing you can do is say stop and look at what the Word of God says. And there are certain things the Bible clearly speaks to that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if we really love people, we need to tell them the truth.
0: But the answer, in many ways, comes back so many times that you cannot understand the experience of that other person because you're not in their shoes. You, you don't experience the oppression that they experience. So what is set up then, again... Is, I do. Is, well, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah.
5: My friend Bodhi does.
0: <laughs> try, try being the white, uh, red-headed kid growing up off of Northwest 6th and 2nd Street in Calle Ocho uh, in Little Havana. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the whole idea of standpoint epistemology... In other words, that you can't understand what I've been through, therefore you don't have the ability to speak that truth it's is that,
3: my is experience. Is that, is that what you call ethnic, Gnosticism? ethnic Gnosticism. Yeah, basically that's what I call ethnic Gnosticism. But, but there, there's something else, though, too. And, and for me, one of the sinister aspects of this is that it is a new white supremacy. Tell me. It, and what I mean by that is the old white supremacy... Uh, A lot of it was based on Darwinian evolutionary theories. You know, you guys are inferior because you were evolved from inferior primates. The new white supremacy says, you guys are inferior, but it's okay. It was because of our privilege. Well, that's still white supremacy. It's it's still patronizing and patting me on the head because, you know, it's okay. And it amazes me that so many black people are are willing to embrace this while at the same time, I, I, I was in a hotel uh, a little while back and and I was uh, in the, the uh, elevator and there was a, a poster up for the local school just talking about the arts and how hard how important the arts were and they were trying to raise money for the arts and this and that and the other. And you know, people were really talking and, and it was uh, a, a, a minority community. And, People are just complaining about how neglected this minority community is because people are not pouring money into the arts. But they've got a great football team. And football is incredibly expensive. Yeah. More expensive than the arts. But somehow they found the money for their football team. And on the arts, they go, oh, poor us. But in football, I know this because I was here. When we would go and play the white school our attitude was not, oh, they got more money. Oh, they... Our attitude was, bring your money, and we will show you that it does not make a difference. We will, it, that was the attitude. But now, all of a sudden, it's white privilege this <laughs> and white privilege that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a new form of white supremacy. It, it, it's, a, it's a new form of patronizing black people. Um, and I find it, quite frankly, Offensive. The other side of it is, it is delegitimizing relationships. Because all of a sudden, there's an unspoken rule. And that is, that we can't speak truth to each other. Some of us can't speak truth. Because if you do, and somebody doesn't like it, and you end up being accused of being at best, insensitive, and at worst, racist, you have no recourse. And that, that's not the basis of a genuine relationship. Hmm.
0: Let me uh, read a quote from Kimberly Crenshaw. And this was in an attempt- this Intersectionality. It, she's the one that basically created, she came from a legal background, and this was her in envisioning intersectionality, stated that, quote, it is politics applied to postmodern theory. And and here's the question to you. How do you see the acceptance of intersectionality as a truth affecting your ability as ministers of the gospel to propagate the truth?
2: I started off
6: just a few minutes
2: ago being very straightforward. I believe that the concept of intersectionality is a fundamentally rebellious attitude. It's a sinful attitude. It's not a biblical attitude. It rejects the reality of God's sovereignty and His providence, the recognition that He gifts people in different ways, that He uh, is pursuing. Look, who, wherever the concepts came that have created this monstrosity called intersectionality, It wasn't the prophets of Israel. It wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't his apostles. And it wasn't anyone deeply schooled within the worldview that they presented to us. It comes from someplace else. And when you apply it within the Christian faith, you have to end up filtering out pretty much everything that makes life in this world worthwhile because God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who are called, those who love him. That means he's involved in this world. This whole concept of intersectionality is a very naturalistic idea. It's very much uh, opposed to the concept of, of the providence of God. I don't see how Christians, I've had, I've had Christians say, but, but you can gain some real insights from it. Well, I can gain some infra- insights from looking inside a dumpster too, but that's not really something I'm really interested in doing very often. <laughs> there are other places better to look.
5: I think okay. it's a pagan religion. I don't think so we, we, have we have common ground with it. I I think if you get on the ground of intersectionality, then you're just going to have to give up what the Bible says. You're going to have to give up major segments of what the gospel actually is. And so I refuse. I reject it outright. It's a pagan religion, and it's a religion that we need to stand against and say, here's what the Lord says.
3: Mm.
0: Amen. Please. This question is directed uh, at Phil. At Phil. Uh-uh. For at Phil. At Phil. At Sorry, not at, at Phil. Phil. It's not attacking you. <laughs> within the church, who is the, the virtue signaling within the church, within the social justice crowd, being done for? Is it being done for those within the church or for the world?
4: Yeah, I'm hesitant uh, to, to judge any individual's motives. I, I don't know what every single person who uh, uses Twitter to virtue signal and all that might have in mind. But it seems to me collectively, uh, j- just based on the way this, th- this is going and the way it's taken over, uh, as I said in my message, I, this is just the next version of seeker sensitivity, pragmatism... Sure liberalism and all that it's the church's attempt it's the evangelical movement's attempt to stay in step with the world and therefore i would say i think it's being done primarily for the benefit of worldly people of unbelievers thinking and, and you know i hesitate to call this a good motive because it's not but i think the people who do it are well meaning in the sense that they think if I, can, if I can get people to think I'm cool or likable or, you know, really stylish or whatever, uh, then they'll be more open to the gospel. Mm-hmm. The problem is once you go down that road and begin to perform for unbelievers, you're not going to get around to the gospel. It's, it's antithetical to the direction you need to go if you're really going to give them a clear gospel presentation.
0: In essence, even in you know that virtue signaling, we agree is completely wrong, but what you're modeling then for the church is that the virtue signaling that I do do, as opposed to, let's say, from the, the time of the moral majority, which we'd agree there was many issues wrong with that as well, but your virtuing, virtue signaling is now where the progressive left is. Right that somehow that means that you're more real or you're more gospel-centered as opposed to someone that would be considered more conservative. It's the opposite of the truth. I mean, look at the
4: Apostle Paul. Uh, The Book of Romans is his most systematic presentation of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation. If people are going to be saved, it's not because they like me or because my politics are you know, appealing or whatever. It's going to be because the power of the gospel hits them. Right after saying that, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. The very, and you think the gospel, that's going to be good news. The very next words are, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And then he spends two and a half chapters basically uh, detailing with Old Testament proofs Uh, the doctrine of total and universal depravity saying that basically every fallen human being is in the same boat without God under the condemnation of God. And it is until the middle of chapter three or Mm -hmm. near the end of chapter three that he finally gets to the good news and busts that out. The the postmodern approach, and, and it was the modern approach as well, uh, is to uh, is to try to make the gospel sound like it's purely good news. There's nothing bad about it. You want a better life. You want you want health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, you want to be uh, an altruist uh, for oppressed people or whatever it is. It's always something really good sounding, and the 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 reality of human fallenness just doesn't come through in the contemporary evangelical message. And a lot of that is because of Virtue signaling—we are telling the world, "Look, we agree with you. It's the church that needs to change, not you." Right. And uh, it turns the gospel on its head.
6: I would agree with everything. I would say that it's in many ways it's become the new church growth movement. Yep. And so what we have is we have um, this idea of taking woke and attaching it to church. We have this idea of attaching gospel to social justice. And so what we're doing is we're taking, or what they're doing, I might say, is, is you're taking uh, th- this, this left uh, propaganda, this, this uh, political left ideology, and what you're doing is you're trying to bring that over into the church and normalize that, make it sexy, and so then everyone that gets on that social justice train looks like they're, they're up to speed with culture and relevant. And, and that's very troubling. <laughs>
3: and, and it still is unacceptable. I think, you know, we're here in Atlanta, and a few years ago, uh, Louis Giglio was invited to do the invocation at the inauguration, and it was discovered that back in the 90s, I believe, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he, he he's made a derogatory statement about homosexuality. Um, and, and you know his defense was uh, basically that was a long time ago, and I, I don't even talk about that. Um, but 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 think about think about what that what that means. That even if you come to a place where you get woke, right? Um, the the things that you have done and said in your past um, now also will be used against you so it's it's almost like like you said earlier it's not repentance it's penance Penance. and not only that but it's repentance it's penance that that can only go forward that can't deal with what you've done in your past that it just it's it's muddled there is no salvation there is no savior when you start dealing with stuff like that.
4: You know, it's not only the, what you've done in your past, either. Yeah. That's, this is a very long train. And the yeah. minute you accept this boxcar, there's another one behind it. Yeah. And coming after transsexuality and homosexuality, transsexuality, pedophilia is on that train. Bestiality is on that train. Polygamy, it's, I don't know what order it's going to come in, but it's all coming. And the classic example of that is uh, IVP. InterVarsity, I, I, not not IVP, but InterVarsity, the college organization. Um, I mentioned the fact that you know they're they're woke. I, if they may be the largest evangelical woke organization, right? I mean, they, they had their worship team wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts. Maybe well, maybe Sojourners is woke. Or I don't know. Are Campus Crusade? What? Are they bigger than Camps Crusade? Uh, I don't know. But they, they seem more devoted to wokeness, okay. and yet they wanted to hold the line on the homosexuality issue. And so the secular woke world have rejected them as, as badly as they've rejected the rest of us. So there, there simply is no way uh, to hold on to your Christian testimony and let that train park itself in your station. You don't get to be selectively woke. Right. Yeah. It's, it's and there's always someone who's woker than thou. You see right. that in the sec- in right. the secular world as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, that's that's what intersectionality does. It becomes a contest to see who can be the most politically correct, the most victimized, and the wokest. And nobody ever wins. Everybody loses in the end. You you look at the the women's movement. How they're turning on each other right mm-hmm. now. So that. Right. Uh, it's not it's not good enough to be a feminist you, and it's not even good enough to be a black feminist you have to be a black
3: lesbian feminist
4: and it's probably going to go
3: even further than that yeah. and what really gets lost in a lot of this too is there's real sin out there mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden because we're talking about systems and privilege and so on and so forth we're losing the idea of the individual and the heart. Yeah. I talked earlier about individual relationships but also individual sin and confronting individual sin. So so now it, it's it's not me looking into my heart and acknowledging and rooting out the sin in my heart that that that's that's not enough. You have got to look at systems mm-hmm. and deal with sitting and that. We go from in here to out there. Right. And that's the opposite of what the gospel is doing, Amen. right? Yeah. The gospel Amen. is dealing with in here, and it's the gospel dealing in here yeah. that affects and impacts out there.
4: You know, even if you wanted to keep it in the area of corporate sin, and I take a risk saying this because I think James is the only other one up here who's not a Southern Baptist, but uh, the Southern Baptists as a group are becoming woke and all concerned about you know systemic racism and all these other issues. And yet, that was the organization that produced Andy Stanley and Stephen Furtick. And, and what about a concern for sound doctrine that is at least as, as uh, strong as our concern for the sins
3: of the, of the culture? Yeah, uh, hey, you're I, definitely not a Southern Baptist, are you? No, no. I'm not, I'm not. Numbers, man. Nickels and noses. You know how many churches we lose if you start talking about that kind of stuff? By the way, I'm not in the SBC anymore. You know, I (laughs) got to Well, thanks. Should should we be
0: careful as well, though, about um, a lot of the men, and I don't want to judge all the intentions of the men, but that are really seeking that third way, that are saying, look, we need to listen to, to these brothers on this side and that side, and we just need find a middle way. and What I've noticed personally in terms of political movements is whenever that happens in terms of that compromise, it still always lurches left, but what are your opinions on that?
4: Uh, we used to say the only thing in the middle of the road is a yellow stripe. And roadkill. And uh, roadkill. Road uh, it's, it's, it's a common thing and not a very courageous thing to always try to find the middle way. And if you look at the drift of evangelicalism in general, I'm not talking about an identifiable movement, but, but the evangelical conviction, going all the way back to the Protestant Reformation, uh, the drift always occurs because there's this group in the middle that doesn't want to take a stand on any issue. Right. And uh, they, they think that the truth is always somewhere between you know two competing sides and so, what they're always doing is compromising, and, and what it in effect creates is a kind of dialectic where, uh, as you said, it, it always moves sort of leftward. It, it doesn't go, it doesn't ever go in a more biblical direction. It always goes in a more
3: I, secular I, direction. I think there's two issues. I think there's tribalism and feminization. Mm. Hmm. Th- th- those, those two issues. Uh, on, on the tribalism side, there's the idea that, you know, you, you have to belong to a team and then you are identified with that team no matter what. Right. Um, I think we saw this with the religious right, right? That, 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 I think that's where, that whole, where the wheels fell off of that movement, right? Where that, that tribalism, we belong to this group. Instead of King Jesus, it's this is my party and, and, and I go with them. Um, so, I, I, I think that tribalism is an, an issue. And then there's this feminization, this sissification, if you will. We don't know how to fight. We, we you, you can't... There is an 11th commandment. The 11th commandment is, thou shalt be nice, and we don't believe the other 10, right? And so, we don't know how to disagree with That's one right. another. That's right. We don't know how to have an argument with one another because tribalism says... Right. Once we start, fight, well, then that means you must be with the other tribe, right? And so you, you, you put these two things together um, and, and you end up not getting at the heart of issues. You end up not disagreeing agreeably. It, it, and one of the things that amazes me about it is if you look at the disagreements in the past, um, if, if they were so much more ironic and yet so much more clear. And passionate, right? Yep. Now, we're not as ironic. And there's a viciousness to it. The level of castigation of one, I mean, it just, it's, it's horrible. And it's because of this tribalism. And yet, and yet, it's also this sissification, right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that will get you absolutely clobbered is not being nice. Right, right.
0: And and on that same vein, we're talking about tribalism and so forth, is that in kind of a collective, is that you heard a phrase at MLK 50 repeated consistently, evangelicals need to vote differently than evangelicals normally vote. Is that one way? And what way is that to be taken? What do you mean, is that one way? In other words, was the intent of that particular phrase consistently brought out in the sense that when it is uttered, it does not mean that, well, if you're a voting Democrat, you need to think about voting Republican or Libertarian.
2: Oh, well, it was obvious what was being said. Uh, it was obviously a statement that was uh, attempting to say that uh, there has been a, a complete sellout on a political level and, again, I, I can't address that in the sense that um, I, I, I don't walk lockstep politically right. with, uh, with a whole lot of folks, but mm-hmm. what was being said was what we have considered to be absolutely definitional issues and especially, this is concerning me, the fact that the pro-life right. movement has now been co-opted right. into the social justice movement with the result that abortion is no longer a central focus. Right. Um, it, it may be, you may do lip service to it, um, but in reality, when you say that your views on, a, on borders are the same thing as your views on the murder of unborn children, you are messing categories so badly that I'm not even sure how to talk to you. And yet, that's, what ha- that's what's happening and it's being done as a part of virtue signaling and it's being done uh, to try to say that, hey, you know what, uh, we, can, we can go ahead and promote this set of social values, and we can start, let's not worry about all that um, stuff about pro-life.
1: I'll separate myself from the other guys on this, because I don't want them to, you know, they don't need to be yeah. labeled with this, but I'll say it, and I don't care, to. I don't bother saying it, Russell Moore is a political operative. And his goal is to radically transform the Southern Baptist Convention to move it from a direction where he criticized Richard Land in the directions that he went politically. He's doing the exact same thing that they were being criticized for the moral majority. He's just doing it on the other side of the fence. And he, it is systematic I've had conversations with people that are are, uh, uh, research fellows with the ERLC. There is no doubt in my mind that they believe, because some of them have told me they believe it, that they believe that issues of animal rights and all these other things are just as significant, as important as abortion. That is heretical. Amen. And it is sickening that it's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. It needs to stop... And if we don't begin to deal with this and speak out forthrightly, we're going to wake up and everything that we worked for for 20 years is going to be lost. We fought for the inerrancy of Scripture, and it's time to stand up for the sufficiency of Scripture and to begin to deal with these issues head on. I don't mind saying it, and I just said it.
0: I'm going to give you a Christian or evangelical term, and I would like you to give me the postmodern intersectional equivalent.
2: Okay? This will be, fun. And we'll, be
0: we'll be wrapping up with this, right? Yes.
5: I'll take 20 for, or for, yeah. for, for postmodern terms. Postmodernism for 20?
0: Yeah. Okay. Here, here, comes, here comes the evangelical Christian term. Original sin. Privilege.
2: White privilege. White privilege.
3: Well, it, and uh, what was Wallace's book, America's Original Sin, it was racism. Sorry. Racism, yeah. right.
2: Patriarchy. Yeah, patriarchy, you know? patriarchy, yeah.
0: Epiphany or gospel? Or born again? Getting woke. Getting Woke. woke. Sanctification.
1: Activism. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. It was activism, yeah.
1: At least saying the right things, even if you don't do them.
2: Virtue signaling activism, Yeah. yeah. Orthodoxy. Political correctness. The expanded canon. Whatever it says. Though it's not consistent with itself, let's not worry about that.
0: Unification and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit.
5: Can we phone a friend? <laughs> yeah.
2: Can you phone a friend?
0: <laughs> well, what I would say is that what, what, it, what intersectionality does is that it unifies in terms of your grade of oppression. So in sort of the unification of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is the unifier is that the unification is actually in your oppression. And the more of it the better. So a
2: constant infilling, if you but, will. But the whole emphasis is non-unification is right. division. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's, the opposite. It's to shatter things. Yeah. You, you it's true, they talk yeah. about unity a lot, but what
0: they're
4: looking for is uh, Divisions. Uh, yeah.
0: organization.
4: Yeah. Church discipline. Shaming. Sort of, sort of public shaming, yeah. 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 yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Blocking you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's the king of that, so, well, of getting blocked or blocking. Getting blocked, yeah. The reformer, Martin Luther. Martin Luther King. Former Martin Luther Luther. King, yeah. Hmm. What would you say about (coughs) that, Bodie? Yeah, same. Yeah. Redemption.
2: Never accomplished or applied. There is none. There can't be perpetual penance. Perpetual penance, there is therefore great condemnation for those who are in the woke church. Because if, if you ever step out of line, you want, you want, uh, you, you want the opposite of once saved, always saved? <laughs> uh, it better be once woke, always woke.
6: Well, if there's, genuine, <laughs> if there's genuine forgiveness, then the train stops. Right. The movement stops. And so therefore, there can't be genuine forgiveness because then the movement comes to a standstill.
1: Whoever the Christ is of it never said it is finished. The canon of Scripture.
6: (laughs) The new canon, sociology. All of the additives.
0: Gentlemen, I want to thank you, and I want to thank you as well for being with us this evening. I know we've gone a little bit late. It's been long, but I hope that it's been edifying and fruitful. And I hope that whatever you've learned tonight is something that you can take. And as well, using in your evangel and your ability to reach others in a loving way. We understand that sometimes we must confront, but let's continue to do that in love and let's just close in prayer. Well, gracious and heavenly Father, I do thank you for the men that are with me, the men that are willing to stand, willing to be counted, but not for their own good or for their own names, but simply for yours and for your truth. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will be with these men as we continue now with the G3 conference, that we may proclaim the gospel in truth and in love. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you.